Our scripture is from Psalm 8. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, two weeks ago, I was sitting right over there, kind of behind and to the side of where Jacob Wright is. It was Senior Sunday, and I didn't have a role in the service. So once Sunday school was over and I had finished Zooming from my office, and I'd greeted and everything, I thought, I'm just going to sit down there and worship like a normal person. So I did and was thinking about these seniors, some of whom I had known in infancy, some of whose parents I had married, uh, thinking all kinds of nostalgic thoughts about that. And I just happened to look up at this camera and I, I saw Johnny Sherblank uh, making hand signals. And I thought, oh, surely it's not me. So I went ahead listening to the anthem and mmm, mmm but he was still moving and I looked up again and it was mm, 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 mm. Still thought, surely that's not me. Went back to the service and then a third time I saw the you, <laughs> two, 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 and then, which I assume meant back there. So I thought, oh no, there's a security problem in the back of the sanctuary. Why would he be pointing at me again? I figured as I stood up, maybe the blood rush to my head would help me understand what he was saying. So I made the curve around those seats, and about the time I got to where that little ramp goes off and you turn, I thought, oh no, I know what he wants. He wants me to run camera two. <laughs> camera two? Camera two didn't show up that day. And I now know who it was who will remain nameless. <laughs> Something went wrong with that volunteer. So I was walking in slow motion, just sort of like the bionic woman, like, oh, no. And as I got closer, I thought, I'm just going to take it one step at a time. So what I've seen the TV volunteers do always is throw two legs over the low wall. So I hiked up my robe and I threw two legs over the wall and stood there. And then I saw these two handlebar grips and I thought, grip the handlebar. So I did. Jeff um, Pasco told me later they're called the pan handles. So I gripped the pan handles thinking you, you hold on here, but is it plugged in? Is it turned on? Is, it on the, is there like a channel you have to put it on? 
I stared through this little square and I could see David Wiggs talking and preaching and doing a wonderful job, but I still did not know what to do. And then I thought, there's a headset right in front of me. <laughs> so I took the headset and I, I put it on and I grasped the handlebars. And I waited and I heard, Amy, this is so lovely of you to jump in and help us. Now just keep it pointed straight ahead and we'll tell you what to do. And I said, God? <laughs> and if it was, God is actually a very young man, uh, which I had not figured, but the voice said, no, this is Jeff Pascoe in the TV control, control room. Now, all you need to do is just point it on David. You're fine unless he moves out of the frame. And then I thought, what do I do then? So um, conversation went on. There's lots of talking that happens with these headphones. I could hear Jeff telling the other camera operators what to do, and he said, oh, by the way, Amy, when I'm gonna use your shot, the color right in front of you will change from amber to green. Or maybe it's green to amber. I don't know, if I do it again, I'll get that straight. The color will change. And he counts down three, two, one, so I knew it was coming to me. So somebody spoke up and said, tell her about the fluid head. So they told me how to take the lock off the fluid head. <clears throat> And then I could turn it this way and that, and I thought, whoa, this is neat. <laughs> so then I started uh, pointing at these people over here and pointing at these people over here and thinking, oh, if I went down the aisle, if this were a wedding, I'd go, hey, following the bride down the aisle like that. Then I realized if you move your right thumb, you can zoom in and zoom out. Whoa, getting real big, getting real small. So I started zooming in on people. Zoom, zoom. I heard Jeff say, Amy, we don't take shots of the backs of people's heads. <laughs> so I was supposed to look for people who were smiling, who were looking serious and holy, or any cute kids. And dadgum, if we didn't have the cutest baby I've ever seen come in for about five minutes and be bounced on his father's knee. And I zoomed in on that kid, and I got so much street cred with the TV crew for that. So it was fun, it was so much less scary than I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought of all the jobs I know how to do in this church, I can turn the lights on in the sanctuary, um, I can turn the air conditioning off in the Asbury room, I can uh, find where there's water, where there's a lighter, uh, where there are extra hymnals and a Bible if you forgot yours, but I didn't know how to run the TV camera. How often in life, if we're really honest, are we just thrust into situations where we absolutely do not know what we're doing or what tomorrow will hold? Psalm 8, James McTire says, is the perfect psalm for anyone who's entering into an overwhelming situation. It's the psalm that says, oh God, my boat is so small and thy sea is so great. It's the psalm that says, oh God, there's only one of me and 35 of them and they're eighth graders and they haven't seen their friends in 16 months. <laughs> it's the psalm that simultaneously says, wow, and help me, and thank you. Psalm 8 goes hand in hand with the first creation story, Genesis 1-1. 
that takes it chronologically day after day, on the first day this, on the second day this, on the third day that. Genesis 2 is where we get the characters and the interaction, Adam and Eve and God walking around in the garden and so on. That first creation story, we believe, was written by people who were experiencing the Babylonian exile, where the people of what we would call the Holy Land, the chosen people, had been sent away, kidnapped, more or less, and told, you have to work here for us, you have to share your talents with us, we're going to exploit you. And eventually King Cyrus of Persia came along and set them all free and sent them back home. But that Genesis writer was saying, if we believe in a God who could create the whole universe out of nothing, then we believe in a God who will lower the mountains and raise the valleys and pave a highway for us to get back home where we ought to be. Don't forget about God while we're sitting here by the rivers of Babylon and weeping. Psalm 8 is a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of orientation, as Brueggemann puts it, meaning that everything is oriented. Everything's right with the world. How majestic is your name, O Lord? We praise you, and the world is amazing, and the universe is beyond our comprehension. And by the way, you are so big, and we are so small. Why do you even pay attention to us? What are we? But we have value and you love us, even us. Last Sunday, I took the day off, which I very much appreciated, and I drove up to almost St. Louis, Washington, Missouri, where my best friend from college is from. Her Aunt Dixie had died, and Aunt Dixie was a beloved person in my memories of visiting home with her on weekends out of St. Louis. Aunt Dixie had had a long struggle with dementia and several other older age diseases, and she wasn't old enough to die, in my uh, opinion, but she finally let go, and there was a funeral planned for Sunday at 3, which I think is anathema and a terrible idea, but um, if you have it at a funeral home, it's a little easier on the staff over there than the staff of a church, and I looked at the pastor that day, and uh, forgave him for being a debtor instead of trespasser, and I also thought, you must be one tired guy here this afternoon. Well, they didn't know I was coming. They were glad to see me, thank goodness. Uh, they invited me back to the house after it was all over, and we were having cake and coffee and talking about Dixie and catching up on old times, and some of the grandchildren had to get on the road and get on back home to Kansas City because they had a job in the next morning, but then, oh, but take some of these paintings that she left behind. And oh, wait a minute, they had bought Little Debbie snack cakes for everybody at the funeral because Aunt Dixie always had Little Debbies at her house. So don't forget the Little Debbies. So there was so much traffic with the mom and the sons and the grandchildren that I sat with Michelle's dad and had a long conversation with him. He's 82 now, retired attorney, and he told me about one time when he was visiting his uncle who lived in St. Louis. Now, little Dan Bisher had grown up in Washington, Missouri, which is small town Missouri, looks exactly like you would imagine it, only the flowers are prettier than Tulsa because they get more rain. But he didn't have a whole lot of diversity growing up, I imagine, which makes 
the story a little more interesting. He had gone for a week to visit his uncle who lived in St. Louis, and in the late afternoons and evenings, his uncle said it was okay for Dan to go down to a ball field in town and watch the Negro Leagues play ball. And this was 46 or 47, right before Jackie Robinson got picked for the Dodgers. So my friend's dad got to watch Jackie Robinson play ball for free at a Negro Leagues series of games. Now these days, we probably wouldn't let a seven or eight-year-old child just go several blocks through town to an unknown spot and uh, not have anyone look after them, but this was a different day. Dan was a good kid. He was well-behaved. He was just there to watch baseball. But he'd been sitting there on one of the benches for about two hours when finally one of these African-American men in the stands said to him, Hey, boy! Yes, sir. You had your dinner? No, sir. Well, come on back here. We're going to feed you. And Mr. Bisher didn't look like a kid who had not been fed that day. He had on shoes and socks. He had a clean haircut. He had clean clothes. He looked like a kid who somebody was looking after. He didn't look like a charity case, but these folks knew we have a visitor and it's time to eat and we need to feed him. So Dan went back the next late afternoon and sat on the same bench and watched the same wonderful and amazing baseball players play. And sure enough, about 6.30, heard that, hey boy, you had your dinner? No, sir. Well, come on back here, we're gonna feed you. And there was meat, and there were baked beans, and there was potato salad, and there were rolls, and there were, was pie, and there were seconds. <laughs> day after day, he went. And when the experience was over and he went back to Washington, Missouri and told his parents about it, they said, Dan, you went and watched baseball with a bunch of black people. They could have killed you. And he said, well, Mom, what would a bunch of black people want to do with just a little white boy? Why would they have killed me? They treated me like a guest, and they made sure I was fed. And I can't imagine <clears throat> that that experience of seven-year-old Dan Bisher did not greatly influence his brain and his outlook as he grew up to become an attorney and then the district attorney of Franklin County as he dealt with people of all skin tones. What an amazing picture of hospitality from these people who could have ignored that little white kid but did not. We are in times when we talk about racial tension and there's plenty to talk about, and certainly the last month has been replete with that in the news. I think about things that we say that we probably ought to get out of the habit of saying, and I'm reminded of a great scene in the movie Steel Magnolias, which I love to watch until a certain point, and then I have to shut it off because it's not fun anymore, it's sad. But when the wedding has finally happened and the ladies of the town are all standing around eating cake and Dolly Parton is there in a corner of a living room with Olympia Dukakis and she points to one of their beloved members of the community who is a little bit overweight and wearing a very tight dress and Dolly Parton says, now you know I would rather walk on my lips than say anything bad about anybody. But 
She looks like she's got two pigs underneath a blanket wrestling. I haven't left the house without lycra on these thighs since I was 16 years old. And Olympia says, well, that's because you were raised right. So I think of that sometimes when I'm trying on a new dress. But I also think about how we lead with that word, but. And somehow that word, but, is supposed to excuse whatever we say after it. I don't mean to sound judgmental, but. I don't want to be critical, but. Now, I'm not a racist, but. And then whatever you say after that, negates the first part that you just said. You don't sound like a racist. You don't want to be a racist. You don't want to be judgmental. You don't want to be critical. Well, if you don't want to be a judgmental but, or a critical but, or a racist but, (laughs) then how about you not say it at all? How about you have that negative thought blow it out your mouth and stuff your face with a piece of cake. I think that would help us make a slightly better world if we didn't perpetuate this idea that, well, I look better in my dress than she does, and I'm criticizing somebody, and they could turn around and criticize me just as easily as anything. God loves us so much and created the universe, and yet cares for each one and knows each of our names and the joys and sorrows of our deepest hearts. We are called to model God, to pattern ourselves after God, and uplift others as much as we can. One of my family's closest friends, who is 54 years old, finally did her bat mitzvah in Cincinnati, Ohio. And when you're 54, and you go through it with a whole bunch of other adults, they don't call it a bat mitzvah, they call it a b'nai mitzvah. And I guess you kind of get off easily if there are 10 of you, because then you only have to memorize one-tenth of the scripture and the singing. Now, this took place on Memorial Day, and it was a reformed temple that our friend has joined up with, She grew up, she was culturally Jewish, her dad was Jewish, her mom was Episcopalian, so she would go for the high holy days and all of that, but never really did that work and that pledge. So, it was a pleasure to get to watch her and her nine adult friends do this over Zoom. It was so great to be in my pajamas drinking a big cup of coffee in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and watching our friend make these pledges about her faith. One of the scriptures that they read, a female rabbi read before the ten candidates stood up, was, O Lord our God, when we look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of us? Baruch atah Adonai hamah hazir shekinah tov Zion, you, God, the king, who are looking always towards Zion, you look always towards our return to this promised land. The eternal truth, the rabbi said, is that you alone are God, and which I say, which makes us say, wow, 
help me, and thank you. I run into people when I'm doing funerals who say, well, I grew up at Boston Avenue, but I haven't been back there in 40 years. My friend and I used to run up and down those stairs in the tower, and we were supposed to be in Sunday school, and nobody knew where we were, and we had a great time. That's my memory of Boston Avenue. And I always want to say, well, I've spent 11 years in that tower when I was supposed to be working. And you know what I was doing up there? Working. <laughs> so my story is a little more interesting than yours. And where have you been? Where have you been all those 40 years? Because we could have used you. We could have used you in all kinds of ways, maybe to run camera too, but also <laughs> to be a part of this congregation, this place where we come to say every Sunday, wow, help me, and thank you. And you know how lonely that is when you try to do it on your own. When you try to just have your own spiritual walk as an individual, it's very tough. It's very easy to lose your way. It's very easy to stay encouraged. It's very hard to be challenged if it's just you and the Spirit. I was looking out earlier in the service and thinking about all the different types of people we have here today. We have a couple of bank presidents. We have a retired sailboat salesman. We have five retired Methodist ministers here today. We have a Methodist bishop's son. We have two, two meteorologists <laughs> here. We have two wives of meteorologists as well. We have a physics professor and we have two chemistry professors. And we have teachers and we have band directors and we have a bunch of people who used to work for IBM and we have my relatives, and we have your relatives, and we have everybody whom I did not mention, all kinds of people, all kinds of stories that have been brought here today to sit and listen to the word and listen to music and have fellowship with one another and say, wow, and help me, and thank you. What are we that you should be mindful of us the head rabbi of the temple in Cincinnati closed out the B'nai Mitzvah service with these words, whether it is through prayer or study or deeds, when we join together, we find what we bring enriched and lifted up, elevated by sharing it and by sharing ourselves with others. So as you go forth into your week or your summer or your new job that starts this fall, Go in there, swing both legs over that low wall, grasp a hold of the panhandles, look through the viewfinder, don't forget the headset, and wait for your instructions. The rabbi closed with the blessing from numbers that the youth group always uses. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God smile upon you, light your path with goodness and grace. May God's presence be with each of you in abundant years of good health, fulfillment, laughter, and love.
and peace.